The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome into the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. You can also check us out every day, Monday through Friday on Dash Radio. Search for the Dash Radio app, download it for free, and then search for Nothing But Net, and you'll find us Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Pacific. Also, check out FiveReasonsSports.com. Plenty of new stories up there about the NBA Finals, but also about the Marlins in the playoffs against the Cubs. The Hurricanes play Clemson in about a week and a half, now ranked eighth in the country. And the Dolphins have a big game coming up against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. So get all of that content for free. We do not charge a paywall on 5reasonsports.com. Also, our YouTube channel, now getting close to 7,000 subscribers. Why? Because we've got original shows, we've got streaming shows as well, and we also have all of the Zoom videos, the important videos. So today, you can find LeBron James, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Eric Spolster, and more up on our YouTube channel, and they go up quickly. Also, check out all the great sponsors of the 5 Reasons Sports Network. We stay local with Miami sports fans just like you. Support them to support us. One of them is our friend Mark Brown over at markbrownpa.com. You can call the office at 954-566-5678. This is a real estate litigation and transaction law firm, both commercial and residential with a full-service attorney-owned title company. So this is a one-stop shop. Mark's got a $295 closing fee on all refinances and purchases when mentioning five reasons. That's right. It's a great deal. $295 on the closing fee on all refinances and purchases when mentioning five reasons. They also handle evictions for landlords and for tenants, and they offer flat fee evictions. Practicing for nearly 15 years here in South Florida. Again, the website is Mark. That's with a C, M-A-R-C, brownpa.com or call the office at 954-566-5678. Another sponsor of this episode and of other episodes on the Five Reasons Sports Network is our friend Dr. Jonathan Chung over at Keystone Chiropractic. Unless you're a manual laborer or a high-level athlete, you're more likely to have back pain because you're not lifting enough weights instead of lifting too much weight. Many back injuries occur because of deconditioning or chronic sitting. So one of the most effective ways to help heal and prevent back pain is by increasing core and back strength by lifting weights. If you want guidance on a weightlifting or core strengthening program over at Keystone Chiropractic, they can put together a plan for you through a free consultation and telehealth visit. That's right. Based in Wellington, but can see you uh, over Zoom telehealth and make sure they can start getting uh, taking care of your problem. Get more health tips like this. And more by following at Keystone Neuro, that's K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-N-E-U-R-O, or at Dr. Jonathan Chung on Twitter and Instagram. And the website is chiropractickeystone.com. And now, today's episode. One, two, three, four, five. On the floor. Welcome to Five on the Floor. A daily show on the Miami Heat and the NBA featuring Ethan Skolnick with Alphonse Sidney, Alex Toledo, and Greg Sylvander. 
part of the Five Reasons Sports Network. All right, welcome back to Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network, also on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio every day, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Pacific. Now, for those of you who followed um, the Big Three era, and pretty much everyone here did, you are familiar with the Heat Index, and the Heat Index was the bane of my existence, and, and here's why. Uh, because here I was, little old me, covering the Miami Heat for the Palm Beach Post by myself back when they actually used to cover the NBA. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, you know, here's, here's me. I'm the Orlando Magic, right, in the state of Florida, and then the Miami Heat are bringing in, like, LeBron James and Chris Bosh and all these superstars. So they already had Mike Wallace here, and he was kind of like the guy who could handle, like, all the personality stuff and – you know, write about the players and, and, and really get inside and had a really good relationship with them. Um, and so, that, but that wasn't enough apparently. So then it was, okay, we're going to bring Brian Windhorst down because he's got the relationship with LeBron and his people. So he's coming down, he's going to handle all the LeBron stuff and the personnel and the personnel stuff and everything related to that. Then that's not enough. So we're going to get like the strategy guru, Kevin Arnovitz to come down uh, and handle all of that stuff. And then icing on the cake, okay, we're going to get somebody who understands everything that goes on with the numbers um, and, and sort of at a time when that was sort of just starting to explode in the NBA and the analytics, and that's Tom Haberstrow. So basically they what quadruple teamed me uh, on a daily basis, and uh, yeah, so sometimes that didn't go so well for me. But we've got one of the four here. Uh, we've actually had the other three here on five on the floor as well at one point or another. We've got Tom Haberstrow. He's now the national NBA insider – not just writer, insider, for NBASports.com. Tom, uh, thanks for beating my ass all those years, and uh, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. You just said NBASports.com, but it's oh, NBC. Yes. NBC. I might, I might do, I might do all of the NBA for NBC. It is very confusing. I think um, people have tripped up on my intro like ninety nine percent of the time. So you're with the herd on that one. So don't yeah, worry about that. No, I'm not with the herd. I, I don't respect Colin Coward. But yes, I, I am with <laughs> <laughs> I am I am with the rest of the pack. What's a BAM? Isn't that what he said uh, a few months ago? Anyway, um let's get let's get to the LeBron part of this uh before we get to anything else because obviously you've written volumes and volumes on him, particularly those four years here in Miami. How has he changed as a player and how, how does it show up in the numbers? So the biggest thing is his assists at this stage of his career. I don't think many people expected to see him leading the NBA in assists um, by a mile. And a lot of that is empowering Anthony Davis. Part of the reason why he brought Anthony Davis in his words, brought him over to, uh, to LA was he recognized that this guy was going to be the best teammate he's ever had. And if you look at the numbers, PER, win shares, Anthony Davis right now is the best player that LeBron has ever played with. And I know that's not going to go over very well in Miami, but the numbers are the numbers, okay? And in terms of significance to an organization, you can't argue that Anthony Davis is bigger to LA than what Dwayne Wade was for Miami. But LeBron recognized this guy is a Swiss army knife. This guy is you know, it's like seven feet tall and he can play like a guard. He can shoot. Um, he can finish an alley-oop better than anybody. Uh, and he's a, a massive, massive problem for opposing teams. And so what LeBron did was essentially make him the focal point of the offense 
And he's averaging about close to nine assists this postseason, 10 assists in the regular season. And it was LeBron's way of saying, Anthony, you belong here. And I don't think anyone would disagree with that notion after watching Anthony Davis in this postseason. Like, that is a huge move for LeBron, not only to take a 26-year-old in his prime and make him a focal point of the, of the team, but also it relieves a lot of pressure off of LeBron. Having Anthony Davis on his team and feeding him ad nauseum is a huge, huge relief physically from having to lead the team by himself. And so what you're seeing is LeBron is not the number one guy on his own team in PER. That's Anthony Davis. And so LeBron is cognizant of the fact that I can't do this by myself. And Anthony Davis, you're going to be the best big man in the NBA, bar none, and people are going to recognize it, and I'm going to make them recognize it. Isn't part of him being the best teammate that he's ever had uh, the fit? Because one of the things I know you wrote a lot about down here in Miami was the fit between Dwayne and LeBron. And look, part of it is also, you know, peak Dwayne really only existed for one year with LeBron. Maybe exactly. a, little, a, a little over a year, right? I mean, the last two years were were a struggle just to get on the court. And you know, that was something that actually frustrated LeBron. And of course, part of the early first, you know, early in the first year, part of the problem was the two of them were trying to operate in the same spots on the floor. And it didn't work that well. And then, you know, I always remember, you know, Eric Spolscher talking to me about, you know, if I'd gone by the analytics, and I know you wrote a lot about this during, I think it was the 13 playoffs and, and to a degree, the 14 playoffs, uh, I wouldn't have played LeBron and Dwayne together because <laughs> the numbers were so bad during some of those stretches with the two of them. So uh, it has always seemed to me that LeBron getting with an elite big uh, would be the thing that would be the most natural fit as opposed to, kind of what he had in the other two places, which I, I'm not saying that Bosch and, and Love were not elite bigs or somewhere in that territory, but they, they were in Anthony Davis, um, as opposed to kind of deciding who's going to take turns uh, between him and Dwayne and then him and Kyrie. Yeah, and LeBron and Dwayne, I think also you have to remember the spacing was so different with those two, with LeBron and Dwayne in a different era. I mean, they were starting Big Z and, and Eric Dampier, um, and, you know, Joel Anthony, like these guys couldn't space and Dexter the floor. Pittman, Tom, don't, <laughs> don't forget, don't forget those, what was it? Seven minutes in Indiana. Those, those faithful, was it even that long? I think it was like three and a half minutes and Derek Dexter went back to the bench and we realized he's never playing again. The That's chess it. game that Spo did in that series where I think he and Pat discussed throughout the night, you know, they were, they had their backs against the wall. CB was out. And I think there was, a discussion, a debate about whether to go big or small. And Pat really wanted to go big because that's Pat, right? And Spo wanted to go, yeah, <laughs> Spo wanted to go small. So almost like Spo was like, all right, Pat, you want to go big? Dexter Pittman, come on up. You'll never <laughs> go a, big was, again. What was it, it? Three Was it three fouls in the first like two minutes? It was, yeah. it was a disaster. It was. Well, we, we were sitting baseline and I always remember Dexter coming off the floor and it was like, he knew like, like, like the, he was a really nice guy. Um, he was a really nice guy, but he, but he just knew like you knew that was never, ever, ever happening again. And, and you're right. They, they went through this collection of, uh, of bigs. Like, I mean, Eddie Curry never really even got to see the floor. Greg Oden. Yeah. Greg, Greg Oden experiment. Uh, Turioff obviously played some, I mean, they tried all of these different guys until, you know, they finally sort of embraced uh, what, what now seems in retrospect, like the inevitable, 
but at the time it was, this makes me feel really old, but at the time it was not inevitable that, that you would just, okay, let's play Shane at the four. Like, okay. And we're going to play Bosch at the five and that's what we're going to do. Right. And like the thunder were like, we need to keep Kendrick Perkins on our team so that we can survive the Western conference. And meanwhile, they trade James Harden. You know, that's the climate of the NBA at that time was they, you need bigs to survive. And with Pat Riley, you know, running your team, you know, he's got visions of Alonzo Mourning and Shaquille O'Neal, Kareem. And I think part of the reason why LeBron and Dwayne weren't as effective as they should have been in that first year was a lot of the taking turns for sure. But a lot of it was just spacing issues is that they, they were, they were going through a forest of bigs to get to the rim. So I think what they did was they saw that LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, in order to get to the rim, they'd have to go through a forest of trees, whether it's Joel Anthony, Big Z, whoever it is at the five. And that was just the climate of the NBA. And it wasn't until the end of the 2012 season that Eric Spolster said, wait a minute, why are we starting these bigs, these guys at the five, when we could just slide Bosch to the five in space? And so that kind of opened things up for LeBron. And what's interesting about this series is that LeBron is now – on a team in which they are insisting on starting Dwight at the five and AD at the four. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see the chess match that the Spo does, because this is a guy who lived through 2011 against yeah. Dallas that threw a lot of zone at LeBron, a lot of zone at the heat. And it didn't, it wasn't the thing that won the series, but it certainly shook them to their core and threw LeBron off. And that was nine years ago. But I don't think either of them, LeBron or Spo, are ever going to forget how that made them feel, That's that series. And I think that's going to be the fascinating thing is, will Eric Spolstra lean on the zone defense to just throw off the Lakers and make LeBron James become a jump shooter? Because when, if you're going to go with Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis at the four and five, if you go big, I mean, you, you're going to demand them to shoot and space the floor, pack the paint and space the floor. And that's going to turn LeBron into a jump shooter. And that was the San Antonio Spurs game plan. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be a Spurs game plan going into this series. Well, I'm really great, glad you brought that up because that's one of the things I wanted to get to with you is that I, I do feel like the, the roles have flipped, at least for Eric Spolstra. I mean, he is now Rick Carlisle. And it's, you know, the, the, everybody's making this comparison to the 2004 finals in Detroit this Heat team doesn't remind me of Detroit at all. They remind me of Dallas. In this context, they remind me of Dallas 2011. Now, they don't, they don't have a Dirk, per se, although they do have a lead guy, obviously, in, in Jimmy, who sets the tone. They don't have a Dirk, but if you look at the collection of players, and we did this uh, with Nikias and, and Alex, myself, last night, kind of going through the top ten players in the series, and, of course, one and two, you know where those are. Three and four, you can obviously, is pretty clear, I think, but – I mean, I had five through seven with Miami. Now, now Nikias did not, but, but even he got to, I think, six out of 10 uh, with Miami or six out of 11 with Miami. And that's what this feels like a little bit to me is that, you know, Miami has essentially become, in this context, Dallas 2011. And I didn't even think of the zone concept, but you're absolutely right because that, that threw off that series. And then, to be honest, on the other side, Spolster, as the favorite coach in that series, I, I didn't think reacted well to it. Um, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot is the corpse of Mike Bibby, um, you know, you know, st- start starting through five games, uh, but Bibby might be better now, now that he's, uh, he's put on a hundred pounds of muscle, but, but he, you know, at that point, you know, not starting Mario Chalmers until game six. And I think one of the things that you touch on that's also interesting is, 
you talk about the spacing in that first year for Miami. Part of the issue I think nobody talks about is they were expecting Mike Miller to be that guy. And, and obviously with Mike's injuries that that really didn't happen and, and they didn't get Shane and Ray until later and, and, you know, be able to really unlock that. Um, But, but that idea, I mean, do do you see, I mean, you, you were at that series, you covered that series. Do do you see any parallels uh, other than the zone part uh, just in terms of the, uh, how these teams match up or, or, or the perception of them going to a series to 2011? Oh, hundred percent. I'm writing about it um, for NBC sports. Just the idea of what 2011 did to LeBron and Spo. And when you look at the roster of the Dallas Mavericks, you have hall of famers all over the place with uh, you know, Jason Kidd and Dirk Nowitzki and, and Sean Marion borderline hall of fame case. They're just, they're just veteran guys like Andre Iguodala, Goran Dragic, um, Jimmy Butler, who hadn't won the big one yet. Um, you know, Dirk was a guy who was the MVP, soft European guy who could never win the big one. And I, I don't think it's a, a one-to-one relationship with him and Jimmy Butler, but I see a lot of similarities in the idea of like people counted out Jimmy Butler as not a good teammate. He blows up this team and I'm guilty of this too. He blows up, you know, every roster, every team that he's been on Chicago and Minnesota and then Philly, who knows what happened there. And so I think there are some parallels with him and Dirk in the sense that there's a lot of doubt with him and he's overcoming that, that perception. Now, I think a lot of it also what you have to look at with this matchup is um, how different these two teams, or at least the Miami Heat are since the regular season matchups with the Lakers. So if you look back to uh, November and December in their matchups, it's been a year since they played against each other. Keep in mind, Myers Leonard in those games was minus 27 in 26 minutes. And then without Myers Leonard, they were plus nine in 70 minutes, Miami Heat against the Lakers. And so to go back to the idea of going big, playing zone, um, or the Lakers going big and the Heat going zone and having Bam at the five, I mean, there's all sorts of evidence that this Miami Heat team is way better suited to face the Lakers than they were in the regular season when they were trying to match size for size with Myers at the five and Bam at the four. And then keep in mind that Kendrick Nunn um, was also a mess yes. in that he was uh, minus tw- or sorry, mm-hmm. that starting lineup was minus 26 in 21 minutes against the Lakers in the regular wow. season. So in two matchups, the scoreboard was Lakers 58, Miami Heat 32 when they had Myers Leonard and Kendrick Nunn on the floor next to Bam, Duncan Robinson, and JB. So you're looking at a regular season matchup in which the Miami Heat were 0-2 and got beat pretty bad in the first game. But when they go to Miami, and this has been true for LeBron in, in, uh, over the uh, last several years, is he doesn't play well against Miami in Miami. And so I'm curious to see how going small with Bam at the small, quote unquote, with Bam at the five, throwing the zone at the Lakers, what that's going to do to LeBron and Frank Vogel, because you're right. Spo is going to be like Rick Carlisle in this, in the sense that they're the, they're the feisty veteran underdogs going against LeBron. And I do think that there are a lot of takeaways from that 2011 that I think Spo will utilize in this one. Yeah, and like you mentioned, it's it's not just taking Myers and Nunn out of the starting lineup. They're out of the rotation yeah. entirely. And you've replaced them with two of the guys who guard LeBron best in the league in 
in Iguodala and Crowder, um, who were not a part of those matchups. And those matchups were tight. I mean, you know, the first one, the one in L.A., uh, Dragic kind of kept them afloat in that game. Uh, they didn't play particularly well. It was, but it was also, uh, people forget, it was the end of a long road trip. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not saying the Lakers were playing at their, the peak of their powers at that point either. But it's hard to take much away from that. And then the home one, I mean, there were two missed calls, according to the last two-minute report, on the Jimmy Butler three attempt at the end. And they were right in that. And Dragic wasn't playing. Dragic did recall. not play in game and, two. Yeah, the second game. Right. Dragic, Dragic didn't play. And like you said, they were starting a totally different lineup. I mean, I think you have to junk it. I, I also feel like um, – and I've said this since the Heat have gone in the bubble. I mean – you know, to me, the, the, he had a ton of advantages coming into the bubble, and people on Five on the Floor uh, who listen to this podcast are tired of listening to it, but we've been right, uh, which is that, you know, A, I thought the teams that would survive in the bubble would be teams that had uh, good depth to be able – because you didn't know how guys were going to come back to the bubble. For instance, you know, Kendrick Nunn came back not in the condition that, you know, for a lot of reasons, um, personal and COVID, et cetera, that he was before he went in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you know, during the, the pre-COVID season, but you're able to replace him because you had enough depth. And so I, I think you needed teams with depth. You needed teams with young legs because I thought those players were going to come back quicker and also develop from what they'd done before. And we see that obviously with Tyler Hero being the prime example, um, you needed elite coaching to be able to put these pieces together and keep a group committed, their chemistry in a positive direction for two, three months. They had the right coach for that. And you had the right, and I, I, you know, I hate using the word. Everybody knows I hate using the word, but they had the right you know, culture um, <laughs> to, 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 to kind of get through this. And so, I, you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I wagered on them to go to the finals, even though I didn't think it was necessarily going to happen. I was like, oh, I think there's a shot because of all these circumstances, and we've seen that play out. And you mentioned, um, you know, again, uh, Nunn and Leonard being two guys who were – I mean, primary to their success, uh, their starting lineup, Tom, that was the top 10 starting lineup in the, in, the, in the regular season, right? And I'm not talking about against the Lakers. I'm talking about just generally, right? Yeah, yeah. But Spo, I think also, looking back to 2011, I think he learned that he shouldn't be afraid to adjust lineups. And you're seeing it here in the bubble where if he was 2011 Spo he might be holding on to Myers Leonard the same way that he held on to Mike Bibby. Yeah. Where I remember, I remember it was like, it was yesterday. Ethan was when I wrote the story, the headline was Mike Bibby, most unproductive postseason player in NBA history. And it was true is Mike Bibby has his player efficiency rating was, was zilch. He, he couldn't hit a shot. And Spo held on to that because I think he was waiting for that investment to pay dividends. And it never did. And so I think now Spo recognizes he is so much more confident and assertive as a head coach and knows that, you know, he can play the first move in that chess match without having to react. And I think having this lineup with, you know, Tyler Hero coming in, Andre Iguodala coming in, Jay Crowder in the starting lineup, um, I think it's fascinating. You know, if you look at those two regular season matchups, I think the Heat shot 16 of 68 from downtown. You know, like that's not going to sustain um, with this with this shooting team now. Um, and so I think when you look at the regular season matchups, you can junk it. The new starting lineup, the Heat were absolutely frigid cold from downtown. And I think now um, I'm I feel a bit of a homer here, but I, I'm going Heat in seven in this series. 
Wow, I was gonna let you do that at the end. Um, and well, we can I discuss it now and, and I, I, how well, you we, feel well, about we that. Can, well, we can. We can. You, you, you're giving away the ghost here. I, I, uh, I, I don't want to say which way I'm leaning, but I'm certainly thinking about a long series a lot longer than other people are, are saying. And I, I am gonna give a pick before we go here. Uh, probably not on this one, but, but on the next one. But all right, let's dive into it then, because uh, I mean, you've thrown it out there. So Heat and Seven. I don't see anybody else picking that, honestly. Um, and one of the big reasons that, that I'm looking at it seriously is what we talked about, which is that you've added two um, guys in, in Crowder and Iguodala who you can throw at LeBron James in addition to Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, maybe a little bit of Derek Jones Jr. I, I can't remember, and, and I wrote a bunch of stories because obviously I handled a lot of this from the LeBron perspective from year, for years, and even when I covered him, you know, when I spent the year up in Cleveland – going through the playoff series is that he's lost, okay, over the course of time. And there aren't a ton of them, right? But the ones that he lost all had some common attributes. And one of the attributes is you had to have two or three plus wing defenders. You, you, it couldn't be one. You had to have two or three. And you go back to uh, the Boston series, right, the, you know, what, Cleveland 1.0, right, where he – and you had James Posey and Tony Allen, right? You always have to have a couple. Um, in the case of that Dallas series in 2011, a lot of it was zone, but they also threw a bunch. I mean, Sean Marion did a lot of the dirty work, but they had others uh, who, who worked him over. You, you can't count on one guy to do it for 30, 35 minutes. But I can't remember, I mean, other than, I guess, I don't know, Golden State where, you know, there, it was Iguodala and Draymond. Um, I can't remember a team and clay, obviously I can't remember a team that had more options to throw at him than Miami does. I mean, were you talking, I mean, I just named five guys off the top and I actually think you're going to see some Solomon Hill on him too. Like I think there's going to be six different players that LeBron is going to have to deal with at one time or another. Oh yeah, for sure. They've got bodies that can guard LeBron. They've got the zone defense, which I think will slow them down. They get back in transition, which is what you need to do against this Lakers team that likes to get out and run. Um, and you have a guy who can guard AD and bam. So I think it checks off all the boxes. It's hard to pick against LeBron James as a favorite in the series. But then again, in 2011, we saw that happen, how that played out. Um, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game. I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. I'm against an underdog where it almost feels like, you know, the, the, 
the momentum is on the underdog side where the Heat are playing with uh, so much confidence and understanding that anything that happens here is just icing on the cake. Not many people are expecting them to win. And therefore, it's kind of just like, let's give them everything. Let's throw everything at LeBron um, and AD and make them feel us in ways that I, I think that Dallas in 2011 did the same thing, which was, mm-hmm. you know, we have the veteran team. No one's expecting us to win. Um, and I think LeBron has shown that, like, look, if you're going to pick against me against Houston and Portland and, and Denver, okay, I'm going to win those series in five. But I just think that the Heat pose a lot more problems for LeBron and AD than Denver did and Houston, who isn't as disciplined and as energetic and as conditioned as this Miami Heat team. So I think it's going to go deep. Um, I don't think it's going to be over quickly. And I think with the fact that this, there is no home court advantage, I think that also plays into the favor of, of this Miami Heat team, where in game seven, you almost never pick the team that is quote-unquote away. Good point. But uh, I just think that's neutralized on this uh, in this scenario. And, and that's one of the things that I don't think has been talked about enough that has been another heat advantage is they were the five seed and they would have been the road team in every single series. Now, I don't think they would have been the five seed without these circumstances because I think they would have been the four or maybe even the three. Because if you looked at their schedule um, before the COVID shutdown, like the, their last 15, 20 games of the year, they were playing all the garbage teams that didn't get invited to the bubble. So I, although the, of course Heat fans know, and you know, uh, the random scrub Heat killer thing, and and they probably would have dropped a couple of those. I mean, they did lose That's to still Charlotte a thing? with a. That's still did, a thing. Oh no, it's always a thing, man. Oh, I don't wow. know who it's gonna. It, it's gonna be Caruso in this series, I think. Right? It has. I mean, I try to think who, who else it would be. It's probably it's got to be Caruso. I mean, I, not that he's a scrub, but but Heat fans are gonna. Uh, they're going to process it that way. But yeah, oh no, that's... Absolutely- it's going to be KCP. It's going to be KCP. You know I, he's going to have... I don't eight- know. I don't... Can it be KCP when he's been as... Uh, he's been relatively consistent for him over the past, I don't know, what, three weeks? I, yeah, but okay. Caruso, I love Caruso. So I'm, I'm not going to call him a scrub. I oh, think okay. he's I think he's great for them. All right. So, all right. So we won't call either of the scrub, but th- there is always a random. Oh, no. Heat fans have the same phobias that they always had. It, it hasn't <laughs> changed. And, and also, I know you don't work for them anymore, but uh, they also, you know, obviously uh, have the anti ESPN thing, which, which at this point, it, it's that's been kind of reversed, Tom, whereas all the attention was on the Heat. Now nobody pays attention to them. I mean, literally, the Celtics were just playing the Celtics in that series. I, actually, the, the Celtics and Jason Tatum's son. Uh, we're playing and, and Marcus Smart's grit. We're playing the Celtics because the Heat did not exist to ESPN in that entire series. It was it was fascinating, which is completely opposite to what it used to be, where it was all the Heat, right during during the Big Three era, and and nobody cared about anything else. But of course, that's the LeBron thing. All right, I got one more thing to get to with Tom right after a word from Safe Cubbies. I want to introduce you to another of the great new sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and it is a sponsor that would be important in any time if you want to have a beautiful workspace, but it's especially important now when you need a safe one as well, and that's safecubbies.com, which offers modular office solutions designed to elevate your open office into a modern and safe environment at any budget. You can personalize your workspace with options like whiteboards, magnetic panels, acrylic sheets, and graphic branding. Most 
of the surfaces are non-porous for easy cleaning and can be removed or replaced within minutes. Now this is for workplaces. They've got a bunch of different options on their professional series, but also they've got private room solutions, dividers and sneeze guards, and they have a classroom series as well. So if you're involved with the school, this is definitely something your school should check out, of course, if we have school in the fall. And that's the point here. We were entering a new normal period with COVID-19. SafeCubbies.com, which is locally owned, is the place that you want to go. The phone number is 754-216-1071. Again, that's 754-216-1071 or SafeCubbies.com. All right, so I want to go to you with this because I feel like it's kind of like a, a hipster bar, you know, that you that one of the ones I used to go to with my buddy Joe Goodman on the road um, during those four years that like you kind of know about, but the rest of the world really doesn't. And then it kind of pisses you off when everybody finds it. Um, I feel like the Heat are a, sort of a hipster team this year. And, and I think in a couple of different regards, like the world is coming around to Bam Adebayo. Um, who, you know, I felt like Heat fans identified early. Maybe it was in contrast to Hassan Whiteside and being the complete opposite. But they, they sort of, they loved Bam before the world did. Where do you think Bam is now in terms of being, a, is he a top 20 player in the NBA? I think he is. I mean, what else does he need to prove? He's, he's already got a nice little mid-range J, and that's the only weakness in his game is the ability to space the floor. But I think he's going to have that. Like if I'm projecting next season, he's definitely a top 20 player in my book. And that, you know, I, I, I know what people think is that we're overreacting to just like a hot streak here, but this isn't just a hot streak. Like he just put up like LeBron type numbers in the Eastern conference finals, you know, with the, when you include the, the assists, the rebounds are always going to be there. The effort's always going to be there. The leadership is going to be there. So are there 20 players I would take over Bam Adebayo in the NBA going into next season and beyond? No. The dude's, what, 23 years old? And he's doing this? No. I, I, I think he's, um, he's already gotten an all-star bid, and I think he's a top 20 player. And, like, when you talk about players that you want to play with, it is Bam Adebayo. Mm-hmm. That's it. He moves the ball. He plays his ass off and he defends at a high level and he's not going to demand the ball every time down the floor. I mean, that's Draymond. Like we're doing this already where in the NBA draft, we, we go to like the flavor of the month where it's like, Oh, who's, who's this guy. And everyone's looking for a bam out of bio. Like when you look at the top defensive prospects in the NBA draft, people are going, Oh yeah, he's, he's a lot of like, Bam out of bio and I'm guilty of it too. So I think the idea of Bam and the reality of Bam is everything you want in a big man. And so I think he's, uh, he's absolutely a top 20 player in my book. We'll get back to our episode with Todd Haverstrow here in a second. Before we do want to tell you about another of the great local sponsors of the five reasons sports network. And this is Mr. Kitchen. You can find him at mrkitchen.org. That's O R G all of your construction needs with licensed contractors, custom American-made cabinetries. And here's the thing. They've got showrooms in Broward and Palm Beach counties. They've been doing this for 15 years here in South Florida. All you have to do is text a picture of your kitchen to 561-400-1195. That's 561 
1-800-522-1195, and they will give you a free estimate. And if you decide to go forward, you get 5% off the total bill using the code five on the floor that's spelled out f-i-v-e or just the number five five on the floor for five percent off your total order five six one four zero zero one one nine five for the free estimate that's with the text or go to the website mrkitchen.org and now back to the episode yeah and i'm going back to some of the comparisons that pat made on draft night and he kept talking about a guy who bam has kind of evolved in a totally different way than this, but the comp he made on draft night was Sean Kemp, um, which Sean, for people who don't remember Sean, uh, you should, uh, you should watch uh, the, the, the Sonic series against the bulls in the finals. I, I mean, Sh- Sean was a more, I mean, Sean was an above the rim player, like we kind of almost never seen to that point. Um, and, and he had other elements to his game, but he wasn't the, the team wrecking yeah. defender that that bam is right i mean he was he was a more i don't i don't say he was a more polished he did become a more polished offensive player i mean he was just a physical freak um no so i think that's where the comp comes in here and, and to a certain extent the other comp that was made although they're totally different players too is dwight and it's funny because um you know i talked to dwight about that when dwight came down with the lakers this year and his i i know there's the i always talk there's the facial comparison it, it, they, they straight look up alike, look alike okay yeah. i mean and, and, they straight up, yeah, and, and Dwight, and Dwight, you know, laughed and acknowledged that that people mistake him for Bam now, uh, which is is kind of funny, but because uh, it was always the other way around, but but his face light up when he talked about Bam as a player, but I do think Bam is a new breed. I mean, he's a hybrid of of all of these guys, but I think the thing that separates him from all of them is is the intangible thing. It's not, it, he's just he's like the most unselfish big I've ever seen. I mean, to the point. Yeah. Where it's frustrating, yeah. like where you're like, <laughs> right? You're like in the last. I mean, it, it, he only took over a game. Like he took over Game Six against Boston one time this year, and it was when Jimmy was off the floor, and it was a game against Washington, and and it was I remember tweeting with like five minutes. Okay, Bam, now, okay, because there's nobody else there to do it, and it's I, the thing with Bam that's crazy is Bigs usually come into the league with outsized egos, particularly when they're drafted high. He needs to be told how great he is. And I think once that clicks, like top 20 may be low. I, I think I'm, I'm with you for right now, top 20. But it might be top 10. When he, when he starts to figure out nobody can check me, um, which I think he started to figure out late in that Boston series, it's He's over. shooting 57% from the floor, Ethan, in the postseason. Like right. In the entire postseason, he's shooting 57% of the floor. And a lot of those – are off the dribble. So it's not just he's, he's Tyson Chandler out there and just finishing at the rim. Um, he's got some, some on-ball moves. Like, he's, he's a really talented offensive guy, um, not just as a passer. But so could he go from 11 field goal attempts to 15 to 16? Yes, 100%. He's starting to realize how good he is. And, you know, it – there's a lot of talk about Daniel Tice against, against him and being a wash and people saying that, and that's, that's an amazing little detail in that, in that series retrospectively, mm-hmm. but Bam just averaged 22 points a game in a series against Boston in the Eastern conference finals. One of the best defending teams in the NBA. Okay. Can't take that away from him. And a lot of that is he's getting to the free throw line. He's becoming more and more assertive offensively. And this is going to be a huge matchup for him because they are going to need his passing um, and his, you know, dribble handoffs with Duncan Robinson to just free up the floor against 
you know, Dwight and Anthony Davis. If they're going to play two bigs against the Heat, Bam Adebayo is going to be so important because you're going to drag basically Dwight or AD out to the perimeter and open up the paint. If, if you're doing these dribble handoffs, you can slip, get to the rim, and Bam is just going to – like if he plays really well in this series, and I believe he can – because uh, he's been empowered by Spo and the whole organization, uh, man, there's there's going to be a reckoning in in the league with Bam Adebayo. Well, I I think if if they win this series, to me, he's going to be the MVP. Um, I I the more I look at it, the more I come to that conclusion. I think cases could be made on the Heat for Butler or Hero, but if they win this series, he's going to be the MVP. I, I think there's a, a legitimate scenario that they could win this series and one of the guys on the other side wins the MVP, um, which we've only, I think only seen a couple of times. And of course, LeBron thought it should have happened in 2015 um, instead of the guy who he's now going to be facing in this series, Andre. Yeah. I've, I've never seen LeBron so pissed behind. Would that be the most heat thing ever? Oh, absolutely. They would absolutely. love that. They oh, would ab- love it. <laughs> absolutely. And, and I, I cannot remember LeBron being as up. The only two things I've seen him really upset. Well, I've seen a few others, but two of the things I've seen him really upset about through the years was a, and I was part of this, uh, the, the defensive player of the year vote for Marcus all. Uh, yeah. He was, he was, he was really angry that day. And, and he knew, he knew who voted for who. Okay. And we, when we approached him pregame and, and Derek Rose one didn't please him either, obviously, but, but that was the one that really pissed him off. And the other one was 2015. And, uh, and I, I will say, I didn't have a vote for that MVP. Howard Beck had it for us at, Bleacher Report. And I think he went with Iguodala also, so it wasn't my fault, LeBron. Um, all right, last one here on, on the on the hipster tour uh, is Eric Spolstra, and I feel like it's ridiculous where we're at this stage, where it's like, oh my God, the world's realizing that Eric Spolstra is a good coach, like an elite coach, like maybe a top the top coach in the league potentially. Um, but I think you were there a long time ago, and so was I. Is has he gotten better in your view, or are people just noticing it? I think it's a little bit of both. Spo has always been a great head coach. And I think 2011 was such a stain on everybody involved that year that um, I think it took a while for Eric to build up his elite credibility because of what happened in that final series. And everyone, everyone was to blame for, for that demise. So I think Spo, what he's so good at is adjusting. And this is the thing that makes pop pop. It's not because Pop has a philosophy that he instills like the triangle offense on every team. We saw how that worked with Phil Jackson. Um, it, it doesn't work if, as long as you are able to adapt with the times, you can be an elite coach in this league. And Spo has done that. I mean, you go from Dion Waiters and Hassan Whiteside into this team, like that's an amazing coaching job is to be able to flip so quickly and redefine yourself as a, as a coach. And I think that is the common denominator with him and Greg Popovich is their ability to adapt. You know, Greg Popovich hated threes, but he, he popularized the corner three, Mm -hmm. you know, he hated, uh, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, playing fast, but he would play fast with Tony Parker Mm -hmm. and he wanted to play, you know, half court game. Like, like Popovich recognized, I have to play to my team strengths, my player strengths, and Duncan Robinson, like the Miami Heat weren't a three-point shooting team. And then they found Duncan Robinson. We're like, we're going to make this guy the best three-point shooter in the NBA. And it's going to help things so much more for our team. And the Heat are, you know, way more 
three-point heavy than they used to be. And I think when you look at Spo, that is the thread line is the fact that he's able to adjust and he's not afraid to do that. And, you know, look a couple years ago when people talk about the Mike D'Antoni going small with PJ Tucker at the five, did we forget that Spo like started Justice Winslow in playoff series at the five? Right. Well, we tried to, right. I mean, cause it, right. Cause that was by necessity, but you're correct. He, he had, he sort of had no choice. Cause you're talking about the white, the series white side was out against Toronto. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and, and like, of course he didn't have much of a choice there, but also like the Houston Rockets made a deliberate choice to get rid of their five and they were going to play PJ Tucker at the five. But I, but I think when you look at Spo. Um, he's been willing to make those adjustments. And I think that is what is the calling card for him now is he's not afraid, just like Nick Nurse wasn't afraid last year and this year, is to just be able to adapt. Take new information and make yourself better. And I think when he talks about growth mindset, he -hmm. is the embodiment of that growth mindset. And I think that's what makes him uh, one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in the NBA. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great way to close here. And I, I do think that um, if he wins this series, then, you know, it's, it's too far gone at that point. I, I think, you know, even those who didn't want to acknowledge it before, you know, are going to have to say he's, he's a top three coach in the league and it's just the way it is. And, and the coaches in the league have said it for a long time. So, so that's not a, that's not a new thing. And I think if you, if you ask Pat Riley, uh, you know, truth serum, He'd say Eric's a better coach than he ever was. There were different types of coaches. I think what's interesting is Eric is best known for having to do the Pat Riley type job, which was the managing of egos during the big three era. But as far as an innovator, it's at this stage, it's not really close. I mean, it, you know, Pat, Pat made some adjustments over the course of his coaching career, obviously going to, to, you know, going from showtime to, you know, we're going to, you know, telling the marketing people, you know, put chalk outlines on the, on the, on the floor to show what Anthony Mason and Charles Oakley had Patrick Ewing are to do to other teams. And so obviously he made changes, but the, the changes that Eric has made have been lasting changes in the NBA. Like he, you mentioned D'Antoni, like I know that, that Eric has taken a lot from D'Antoni and, uh, and has, has openly spoken about that, but he's gone past D'Antoni at this stage. I mean, it's, it's, you know, because, he's had more success kind of innovating in recent years. And I feel like D'Antoni has made changes because his top players have forced him to make changes. Like, I don't know that playing, you know, the isolation style with Harden is really the way that he would want to go. If you watched any of his son's teams with Eric, it, I do feel like Eric's more at the forefront of actually making the push. It's not his players forcing him to do it. It's him seeing his players and saying, okay, I, like you said, I can take this piece, I can take this piece, I can play this, take this, this piece, and we can start to play this style. And the only shame is that he got stuck for two or three years with Hassan Whiteside as an anchor where he couldn't do any of the things. Because that's the yeah. last thing that Eric would want to do. Like of all the styles, <laughs> like, right? Like if, if you were to say, if Pat Riley was to say, Eric, I want to punish you, okay? I want to punish you. I'm, I'm going to give you a player who is totally antithetical to everything that you believe in from a playing style standpoint um, and from an attitude offensive standpoint, standpoint offensive just... standpoint. And I'm going to max that guy so that we can't bring in other talent around him. Right. And he's going to mope all over the floor for three years. I mean, it's a wonder Eric didn't quit. And, and honestly, you know, from what I heard, you know, if that had continued, that may have ultimately happened. Um, so I just think it's it's such a freeing thing. And, and, Tom, if you'd seen him at Media Day this year, the column I wrote that day is Eric Spolster has his team again. It just felt like 
this giant cloud had been lifted. He had a star that actually wanted to be there. He had a guy in BAM, this Swiss army knife. He had shooters. It's like, you know, he's in heaven right now. Like he's just in, he's, it's, it's perfect for him. And I think his team reflects it because, you know, when you have Jimmy Butler wearing his, I mean, could you imagine Hassan Whiteside going and getting, um, uh, suppose high school uh, college or high school jersey to wear around the bubble <laughs> um and Talk and now that. that you're talking about it i'm reminded of the fact that he's turning 50 in a month and he don't looks like he's me. 35 yeah don't don't remind me because i'm i'm 3 years younger than him so i whatever he is like he hasn't looked like like spo like looks so happy so relaxed and i know it's been hard being away from his family during this bubble time and being away from Pat and not being able to do that. But um, I just think when you talk about Spo as a coach with this team, it's given him new life. It really has going through, you know, what he went through with the Hassan Whiteside era. Um, you're absolutely right. It's just, he looks, he looks and, and whether it's his smiles and I'm glad to see that he was taking that selfie after the game mm -hmm. because I got a text from someone um, who's a, a very, very close SPO watcher after they won that, that game against Boston and won the series to go to the finals. He texts me and he says, have you noticed that SPO hasn't smiled yet? Like going and shaking hands after the game, like he was just totally calm, serene. And um, I was happy to see SPO smile and just be showered with joy in that, in those moments with his team, um, thereafter. So he's, um, he's at the top of his game The the Jimmy Butler marriage has been phenomenal. And, uh, I know when they, when they traded for Jimmy Butler, there was a moment of, okay, he might not age gracefully considering all the Knicks and the, the, uh, the high minute totals and his age. But if we can just get Jimmy in for the next two years and maximize a team around Jimmy, we can make a run. And here are the Heat making that run. Um, now, before I go, mm -hmm. um, I don't get to do Miami podcasts or Miami radio as much as I used to. But before I go, I want to give a shout out to Jordan Williams. Jordan, mm -hmm. uh, yep. I, I was stunned to see this the other day that he passed away. And uh, I always loved his heat takes and just his NBA takes. Um, I'm really sad to see the news that he passed. And uh, I think it's, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention him at least once with, with the audience here. Uh, you know, 2011, 2012, I was in Miami for six years mm -hmm. and I got to know a lot of heat fans on Twitter and uh, he was one of the big ones. And uh, I just want to give a shout out to him and to all those who are mourning his loss. And um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it sucks, but I, I know this team would be everything yeah. that Jordan wanted. And uh, I think every, every Heat fan should understand that this is a really special team that they have. And it's just so sad that Jordan uh, wasn't around to see it. Yeah, I'm glad you did that. And, uh, and, and um, you know, I know Alf and I, uh, you know, my, one of my co-hosts here, Alf and Sydney and I have talked about this. Uh, a little bit, but uh, that period of time, that 2010 through 2014, when it was kind of us against the world in Miami, um, that that's why this Heat Twitter thing I think is stronger than it is maybe in for some other teams, uh, because that those you really got to know those people, and honestly, a lot of those people are now my co-hosts. <laughs> so uh, it's 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 kind of an amazing bond. And you mentioned I used to interact with him uh, quite a bit actually, and. 
I can differentiate on Twitter, you know, those who, you know, want to have serious conversations about basketball and, and those who are, you know, just kind of giving you a hard time. And, uh, and I always found him to be really thoughtful and, and that was kind of a shock that came out of nowhere a couple of weeks ago and, and, you know, started to circulate on heat Twitter when people began to find out. So I know, uh, I know people appreciate you mentioning that and obviously they appreciate your work all that time. And now you can find Tom over at uh, again, Tom Haberstroh on Twitter, but also at NBC sports.com. He is the NBA insider. See, I got it right this time. You did uh, appreciate, it. you know what we're going to have to do though. I'm telling you. And, uh, and, and also I, I want to also, um, you know, share my thoughts to our friend, Mike Wallace, who's been going through a, a challenging time, obviously with, uh, with what's happened with his family. I, I think, um, you know, at some point, if the Heat win a championship, I, I'm extending an invitation. I'm bringing in the entire Heat Index. Um, you, Winhorst, uh, Arnovitz, and, uh, and Wallace. Um, we're, we're just, that may be, that may be the, uh, the I, I wouldn't call it a celebration, but uh, I, I think we have to have a little bit of a reunion on that thing. Maybe I'll even get Goodman to come in from Alabama and the, the six of us will chop it up together. So. Yeah. Will Bill Ryder even come? I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's, being an LA guy now. Yeah, like... I know. I know. He's yeah. He's part of that CBS machine. I don't. I'm not sure. I, I think we can get Ryder as the seventh. I think we can get Ryder as the seventh. Ryder won't pick up a check though. I know that. So I'm, I'll uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take care of that. Tom, thanks for doing it. Really appreciate it. You got it, Ethan. Always a good time. Thank you for listening to the Five on the Floor on the Five Regional Sports Network. One, two, three, four, five on the floor. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.